3: If you and I had gone to business school, we would know a lot of fancy sounding terms for the following principle. If you make something easy to do, more people will do it and do it more often. For example, when copying something meant carbon paper or a smelly smeary mimeograph machine, people made copies only under duress photocopy machines turned us into promiscuous copy makers. The heyday of infomercials came when deregulation opened up a lot of TV time. But I'm pretty sure another part of their rise coincided with the greater ease in processing credit card charges. Suddenly, without relinquishing your couch potato position, you could buy a Spudmaster. Things have changed. Infomercials are less relevant, but we still like them, kind of. Find out why.
4: The following program
1: is a paid presentation of wolf Laboratories. The opinions and representations herein are solely those of wolf Laboratories and are not those of the station, its affiliates, or management. This product is not to be used by pregnant women, people with pacemakers, or epileptics. There is a small chance that you will die from this product, but you were going to die someday anyway.
0: Hi, I'm Kyone Wolf. Last year I promised myself that when I turned 67 this year, I would fit into those jeans. Look at me squatting against a tree five years ago. Oh, yeah. All I needed was the Wolfamatic, which harnesses the power of Krill, the tiny creatures living in the oceans of Antarctica. The Wolfamatic snakes away crepey skin by sending pulses through gold-plated facial cushions. It's like someone doing sit-ups on your face. Oh. It looks harmless, until you apply it to the edge of a coffee mug or any other everyday epoxy project. No more dripping or fizzing. Now you can go back to doing what you
3: do best, having fun in the sun and making new friends. I- I'm not sure what this
1: product is.
0: So let's add some omega-3, common flour, and sangria mix. <laughs> All right, now you've got a dump cake on a stick that glows in the dark. You just put it in between your knees and squeeze.
1: Look at my toes. Look at them. Whoa, look at that. My toes are saying thank you. Thank you for that great massage.
0: I sent in my diamond wedding band for my first marriage and got more money back than I could have ever imagined.
1: Yeah, I, I really still still don't know what the product is. Is it a powder, some kind of strap, a machine you use?
0: With the wolf matic you get a crispy, crunchy crust every time in fewer than three minutes. But... What is it? I've seen people pass 20-foot tapeworms. They grow. They have male and female sex organs, so if you break them in half, they can grow back again. That's why you need to join all the politicians and celebrities who cleanse their colons the Wolfomatic way. Call this number right now to hear a show about infomercials. And now he was suspended for using a slap chop and tie bow. Colin McEnroe.
3: Yeah, you cannot use a slap chop in Taibo. Uh, there are rules. So we got really interested in infomercials. a lot. In a lot of ways, they are the on-ramp for products that might not make it to market any other way. Um, I think they, they came into existence in the 1980s because of, you should pardon the expression, a perfect storm of factors. We'll talk about that. But uh, the reality is that now, in an era when we have things like uh, Amazon and other things that make shopping really easy, we still like infomercials. There's still here. There's something else about them that works, uh, even in a time when maybe they shouldn't be quite as relevant. But We're going to explore that today. We're going to try to figure out why that is. Uh, And we've got a lot of great guests available to help explain all this. Uh, Joining us from some studios in New York, I think, is Remy Stern, chief digital officer for the New York Post and author of the book, But Wait, There's More. Uh, Also joining us, Kevin Harrington, really one of the kings of of this business, an original shark on ABC's Shark Tank. I love Shark Tank. Uh, As well as the unofficial king of infomercials. Uh, You can read all about his many, many, many exploits in this world and many achievements in this world, especially through uh, As Seen on TV, uh, at www.kevinharrington.tv So they're both with us later in the show. Yes, we will talk to Ron Popeil, uh, who obviously is, I don't even know, he's like the Moses of, of infomercials, right? So we'll talk to Ron uh, towards the end of the show today. So Remy Stern, I'm going to be- begin with you and just say ask you to sort of sketch out the infomercial moment, the moment that these, uh, this particular kind of paid programming became really popular is, I think, in the 1980s, and at least initially because of a kind of deregulation that opened up a huge frontier of time, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, you had cable deregulation in the 80s, which really opened up this all of these channels in the cable universe that uh, didn't have enough programming to, to you know, air shows 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, Of course, there had been sort of infomercials before. There had been radio infomercials going back to the 20s. Um, uh, There had been – Programming in the 50s that was sponsored by, uh, you know, you'd see a toaster oven demonstrated on television in the 50s. It was paid for by the the company that manufactured the toaster oven. But the sort of modern day infomercial really came about in the 80s, and when you had, you know, all of these channels, and at two o'clock in the morning they didn't have anything to put on, uh, and they realized that they could sell that airtime uh, to uh, infomercial producers who who had products that they wanted to sell. Um, you know, it's since it become a very, very big business and, and uh, you know, television uh, uh, companies depend on that revenue from selling that airtime to, to you know, sell infomercial products.
3: You know, I didn't have time to try to figure this out today, Remy, but it struck me that probably this revolution occurred pretty close to the time when it became easier to process a credit card charge without a physical impression of the credit card. So I'm so old, I remember when credit cards had to be – it could only be through, put through that kind of cha-chum, cha-chum thing. Uh, but obviously, one of the ways that infomercials have to be able to work is that you don't leave your position on the couch. Uh, you've got a cordless phone, you've got a TV remote. Those are also sort of maybe technological watersheds. Uh, and, and then you are able to pay for something by credit card uh, just on the phone. And I'm guessing, I don't know, I mean, I, I, don't, I, I tried to figure out when that happened today. I couldn't pin it down. But that, that would seem to be one of the other necessary components for this revolution.
1: Uh, yes uh, you you there were other ways and there there are other ways to pay for products so you you do see uh, uh CODs were, were in the old days where yeah. you could actually purchase a product and, and pay for it when it arrived. Um, but certainly credit cards without, you know, calling and giving your, your, your credit card number to a, to a human. So in those days, in the 80s, you, you couldn't punch in your credit card into a, you know, into a keypad. But but uh, uh, you would call up and, and you know, the, the idea was, was to allow you to purchase uh, a product uh, that you saw on television in the middle of the night without getting up off your couch. And there was, of course, no other way to really shop uh, from the, you know, comfort of your living room couch. There were no computers. There wasn't the Internet. There was, you know, this was this was the way to shop from home.
3: So, Kevin Harrington, what about that? Today, there are computers. There is an Internet. There are some of the products that are advertised on as seen on TV can be bought through Amazon. In some ways, this shouldn't work as well as it did in the 1980s. But it still obviously does work very well. It's a very effective way to market products. So how do you explain its longevity in the face of this digital revolution?
2: So I, I think it, it it all started, as you mentioned, that when these when cable started um, going into all the markets. I, I got in the business back in in 1984. Uh, I was watching television and i and, and I had Discovery Channel on and it, and I found out it went dark and it was dark for six <laughs> hours that night. Found out it was an 18 hour a day network. So I contacted Discovery, cut a deal, and I started. Putting products on that downtime of Discovery Channel. So, so, but then I said, well, wait a minute. Discovery's not the only channel with downtime. There's other channels. Lifetime had two hours of downtime, and Nashville Network at the time had six hours. And so, the bottom line is, this is at a time when there was just, you know, a hand. I say thirty channels. So, as more channels came online, they they actually used the infomercial block to, you know, uh, to to finance the the, the channel space almost. You know, they knew if they could get into, you know, 30, 40 million homes on launch, but they had a six-hour block of infomercial time, that was good for a $12 million commitment in cash that they could then – Put towards programming or distribution or whatever so so every channel I mean there were some channels that actually had problems because they were trying to do twelve hours a day of infomercials and then the cable operators were kicking back saying, you know are you an infomercial channel or are you a programming channel so so the bottom line is even to this day, as, as you look at your, your your landscape of channels every channel it's out there with a, a couple, only a couple of exceptions. You won't find an infomercial on CNN or ESPN. A few others, but very few others. Um, you know, virtually everywhere else, you'll find infomercials. So, as 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 more channels keep adding, you know, and, and of course we've got fishing channels and golf channels and every kind of channel you can think of out there now. You know, they give niche opportunities for the marketers that have products that. You know, could go to their, you know, the food network, great for, you know, cooking products, right? Kitchen products. So, so I think it, infomercials have not only survived, you know, as, as, as things are becoming more digital and the Amazons come along. We, you know, we use Amazon as an additional distribution outlet, much like we would use Walmart or Target or CVS or Walgreens. So, you know, Amazon is one channel of distribution, but we use TV to build the brand by running infomercials, driving the overall sales everywhere across the U.S. So the, the infomercial goes, starts it builds the brand. We then go into, actually, radio, catalog, retail, and then internet distribution outlets. And that, that's kind of the, the, the cycle.
3: You know, Remy, in your book, you, you talk about sort of starting out uh, not as a journalist or an expert on infomercials, but as a consumer of infomercials and a consumer and buyer of the products on infomercials. This started out when you were a kid and maybe not necessarily with your parents' full approval. Tell us a, a story or two of what you bought.
1: Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm sort of a, a child of the '80s. Grew up, uh, you know, was a was a teenager in the '80s, watching television late at night and and watching these amazing infomercials. I think it was sort of the golden age when you could see amazing things at one o'clock in the morning when you turned on uh, your television. You know, you would see. Uh, a pitchman setting the uh, hood of a Rolls Royce on fire to to show off a, a car wax. Uh, you'd see Ron Popeil with his amazing, uh, you know, kitchen products. You know, you really just saw these, you know, fantastic uh, demonstrations of products that were really captivated your attention. And you know, as a Thirteen, fourteen, fifteen-year-old. I was uh, taking my mom's credit card and ordering some of these products, and and you know w- wondering if the uh, DD Seven, which was this cleaning product, was you know was going to. Uh, Clean everything in the house really easily, and and you know ended up uh, realizing that the, the key ingredient in DD seven was bleach, and and stained the carpet in my bedroom, and my mother wasn't too happy about that. But um, but you know they were amazing demonstrations, and I think you know they, that that was what they were designed to do: get you to go to the phone and and with a credit card in hand and, and purchase this product because it was going to change your life. And um, uh, you know I think that was what sort of made it uh, sort of created this sort of pop culture uh, 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 phenomenon for, for infomercials where, you know, now, thirty years later, people are very attached to these to these to these pitchmen and, and, and these products because they they remember them from from, from their younger years. So, yeah, Kevin, there's something kind of almost sort of
3: countercultural about, as seen on TV, infomercial type products, right? That they're in, in the way that they're sold and, and what they are—they exist as an alternative to the kind of slickness and forced sobriety that we see on mainstream television. Mainstream television in the '70s, '80s, and '90s, you know, was dominated by these very sober-sounding voices. You know, it was before actors started being the voiceovers for commercials, but it was the same kind of thing. You know, this this kind of seriousness. Um, And this authoritarian voice, and there's something a little wilder about an infomercial, right? The the person seems less slick, not perfectly camera ready, uh, maybe a little bit more like the people who might wind up buying these products.
2: Right. So, uh, w- what's what's interesting is how I I actually get started because I I'm, I was sitting at the Philadelphia Home Show watching these I, I call them pitchmen and um, Ron Popeil started back in the early days himself pitching products. That's what he was. His family they were a group of pitchmen and Arnold Morris. Was um, Ron's cousin Arnold was was demonstrating a, a knife, and he you know he was it was at the Philadelphia Home Show. He was from um, from uh, Atlantic City, the Boardwalk, where he started pitching knife sets. And when I met him, uh, Arnold said. I'm the number one knife salesman in the world. Okay, I said that's a pretty interesting uh, qualification you've got there. But um, you know, I, I watched his pitch. He was very entertaining. Had jokes. People are are, uh, are are all around him. And then when he's done throwing money at him, so it's sort of like it's a Saturday afternoon. What are you going to do? Well, let's go down to the home show. And then there was Arnold Morris. There was Billy May. So. I started tying up the rights to these guys, and uh, Remy mentioned the guy with the bow tie and the lighting the Rolls-Royce on fire. That's one of the ones that I, I did back in the early days. So, um, you know, we, we were we were doing all of these pitch kind of products, and, um, you know, from hand-hammered Chinese walks to hand blenders that would turn skim milk into into whipped cream. That one originally was called the Daily Mixer. And, uh, and so I, I would see these pitch men who were – very entertaining, funny, they, they had good jokes, and people hung around. And as you watched them, you were mesmerized, and they sold you. So, you know, the, the evolution for me was, let's just capture that presentation. I, I don't come from the television background. I'm a, I'm a marketing sales guy, and I'm watching... One of the greatest knife salesmen sell knives to 10 people. Eight of them are buying it. I said, what if we took him to a million or 10 million people? Hey, let's make it 100 million. In fact, why don't we take him overseas? So I launched infomercials 1989, 1990 into England and the Middle East, Latin America, Asia, et cetera. So it, it, it became a global phenomenon because if the pitch worked, here, even dubbing it into the foreign languages, they loved it all around the world.
3: So, Remy, uh, this may just be me, but I don't think so, that there is something of the kind of Promethean secret, uh, uh about uh, infomercials and as seen on TV products, by which I mean that they, there's an implicit promise that they're making to us that this is bypassed the normal circuit by which products get to market, that this, you know, this isn't controlled by some big multinational corporation. And so maybe OxyClean or, or Kaboom or something like that is an actual, actually a better cleaner than what the big corporations are letting you buy in the grocery stores. Uh, and they probably don't even want you to know about it, which which is why it had to be sold to you in this non-conventional way. And you're kind of rolling the dice. Maybe it is a much better cleaner or a much better whatever the product is, or maybe the reason it's being sold to you this particular way is because it's, it's actually not as good or it has ble- bleach in it that is going to wreck your bedroom carpet. But there's this sense anyway, I think, that somebody's sharing something with us that the big, powerful mm-hmm. com- corporations don't want us to know about.
1: Well you know there's a reason that they're framed as inventions and you're meeting the actual inventor and the inventor is actually demonstrating the product. There's something very powerful about seeing you know the person who who designed and, and you know invented this product and and you know unlike sort of most sort of sales channels, you're actually getting a full presentation of the product. So you're seeing that cleaning product or that kitchen product being demonstrated in great detail, showing you how it works, showing you all of the things that it can do. Um, and you're meeting the person who actually created it, and so that's a that's a very very powerful uh, uh, demonstration. Um, and you know, as they sort of ha- have more time to show you this sort of product in all of its detail, you know, they're raising the sort of uh, you know what psychologists call the perceived value of that product because they're because you're seeing sort of how it could be used in 200 or 300 different ways in your kitchen. Um, and and you know, the, as you sort of see each one of those uses in your mind, you're thinking, well, you know, I could use it for that, and I could use it for that too, and if I I don't use it for that. I could use it for this. Um, that's a you know, it was very very powerful um, and and not something that you could see anywhere else except for uh, you know the the sort of boardwalks and and county fairs where where those pitchmen would show up and, and present to those small groups of people.
3: We've got a tweet here from R.P. Forbes saying one of the best purchases I ever made was Miracle Blades. I give them as wedding presents. I don't even know what Miracle Blades are. I assume they're some kind of shaving device. Um, Kevin, do you know what Miracle Blades are?
2: Yeah, Miracle Blades was the knockoff of, uh, of one of my shows. Uh-oh. Um, it, it was, uh, they're very similar. When, when I met Arnold... Morris, he was actually demonstrating what, what he was calling the Ginsu knife. Um, we actually ended up doing a deal with Ginsu, which, you know, um, it, uh, Ginsu was owned by the factory that manufactured the Ginsu. Uh, but we, we, we had two a couple different versions of that show. One was called The Blade with Arnold Morris, and the other was the Ginsu. And, and so we tested both, and then the Miracle Blade t- went to the same manufacturer, and and bought the same knives and called it the Miracle Blade and virtually did the same demonstrations. It's You know, welcome to the world of infomercials and knockoffs, right? So <laughs> same product, same factory, et cetera.
3: Or that's Kevin Harrington, who's the chairman and founder of As Seen on TV and many other things besides one of the original sharks on Shark Tank. Also with us is Remy Stern, author of the book, But Wait, There's More. Kevin, I, I just have to ask one more time, because Remy uh, just alluded to this. Remy said, you know, this is a chance to see the full a full demonstration of the product. That's one of the things that goes on with an infomercial. But that's the other way in which infomercials are kind of countercultural. You know, I mean, they, they followed the era of Mad Men when everything was about condensing a lot of information or message into 30 seconds or 60 seconds. And now we live in an era where people have to be persuaded not to fast forward through commercials that are. Every single opportunity, there seems to be something so counterintuitive about the idea that someone would watch a commercial for fifteen minutes or, or half an hour. How do you explain that? Why? How can you hold somebody's attention when people are so resistant to to, to commercials? How do you hold somebody's attention for that long? It's
2: a, it's a great question because, you know, but but I'll say this: when we first started doing them, in, you know, back in nineteen eighty four, and we're, we're we're telling people, and they said, "What business are you in?" I say, "I do these, you know, these long." We didn't call them infomercials in the beginning we said well, they're sort of documercials, commercials it's like a documentary that sells something and documercials commercials and someone nobody even takes credit for coining the phrase infomercial but it when when people understood it was a 30 minute commercial they're like who would ever watch that and that that was in the mid 80s all right so uh but it, this is the thing you're you're sitting there at saturday morning and you see five, six testimonials of someone that says, I just lost 30 pounds. I lost this. I'm these amazing then before and afters are coming up in front of your eyes. And you've happened to right now be thinking about how can I lose weight? It, 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 it kind of sucks you in, in the beginning. And we call it the tease and present a problem on the front end. And, and then, you know, so, so now you've, you've got them two, three minutes you know, before they realize they've been watching it for two or three minutes, and now you're pleasing, okay, with the with the benefits and um, you know the, these magical transformations. Uh, this is now the selling process, right? And then at the end, we call it the seize step, which is giving them an irresistible offer. So now what's what's happened is this: these shows are still going 30 minute blocks because you can't you can you can can't really buy. There are a couple stations that will sell a five-minute block now, but for most um, broadcasting cable networks, it's either you know thirty seconds, sixty seconds, ninety seconds, two minutes, or thirty minutes. You can't go to Discovery Channel and say, "I want to buy fifteen minutes," mm-hmm. right? So. But now you, so in the infomercial, we, we, we've, what we've had to do is change the production format. In the old days, you could get away with the first call to action coming in in 14 or 15 minutes, and some of the best shows, we, the longer we could hold people, the better this, the, the show would be. Nowadays, we need three pods, three ten minute pods. Each pod has to repeat itself uh, more or less so that you, you know you're, you're able to you really have kind of three 10-minute summaries that are saying a lot of the same thing so that if, you're, if you get someone only watching for that 10 minutes, they get the essence of, of the whole product and the infomercial in in that 10-minute pod. So it's, it, we're buying 30 minutes of time, but we're, we're producing it differently than we used to.
3: So, Remy, you kind of divide infomercials into two categories. One of them is products, and a lot of people, I mean, I don't know anybody who has a George Foreman grill who doesn't like his George Foreman grill. People sure. people love these. some of these products. People are, get very attached to them. Uh, just watching stuff to get ready for today's show, I find myself wanting to get a ShamWow. Uh, and, and so there's sort of that whole range, and that's sort of an awful lot of what Kevin has done. But there's this other range of infomercials, and a lot of them have to do with, psych- I don't know if Psychic Friends is still on, but there's there's a whole bunch of other infomercials that really aren't About selling products, they're about selling you something else. Maybe late at night, when your threshold of belief is at a set at a different level, Uh, and, and those you take a darker and dimmer view of
1: yeah i mean there are, there are uh, very very good products that are sold on infomercials. There are junky products that are sold on infomercials um, uh, then there is sort of another class of you know there 's a whole get rich quick uh, sort of part of the industry which which uh, uh, continues to exist to this day but really thrived in the '80s and 90s with you know people who who came on and said that they you know could turn you into a millionaire in in thirty days or less. Um, you know, those all really tended to be to be scams. Uh, there, there, there aren't too many ways uh, to you know make millions in thirty days or or less. And certainly, buying a a, a course with uh, you know in in it, CDs and and booklets uh, that was not going to you know. Um, make you a millionaire. Um, there were a lot of those shows, and 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 you know, very few of those uh, programs were, were were legit. There were psychic uh, potlines, and, and those don't exist anymore. That was sort of in the in the day when 1900 numbers were big, and that was in you know the eighties and early nineties. Those were shut down I mean I think the the truth is, is there's very little regulation there's very little preventing somebody from going and purchasing airtime on a cable network uh, and and the 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 networks themselves don't do any real uh, uh, research into the products to see if they're legitimate or not they're very happy that people are willing to pay for that airtime and they air a disclaimer before that says that they're not responsible for the products that are about to be advertised so they've sort of you know they have no responsibility and then it's really up to you know to the uh, FTC to uh, respond to complaints when uh, people feel that they 've been ripped off, and you know it 's a it 's a understaffed underfunded agency that uh has not uh, reacted uh, in the past to 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 you know many of these scams for you know for 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 quite some time I interviewed one guy who had who had uh, you know been on the air with a with a with a product that uh, uh, was later f- censured by the FTC and paid a huge fine. I think he told me he had made fifty million dollars and then paid a twenty-five million dollar fine, so he was perfectly happy with being on the air for two years. With his, you know, with his, uh, his uh, it was a, it was a cure for the aging process. It would stop the aging process and turn back the hands of time. Um, so it was this diet pill. This, this, that, that that was you know fraudulent and and but he made a lot of money and then he paid a fine and it went away so and and, and of, it was it was it was the cost of doing, cost business, of doing right? business so Kevin Harrington, you, you wind up managing creating and managing a kind of Uber
3: brand a, a meta brand and you obviously don't want that meta brand and its logo going on the kind of product or service that he's talking about. So how do you or how have people like you tried to curate or vet this industry so you don't wind up with creepy stuff attached to your brand name?
2: Great question. So at what, what what we did in 1990, we actually, we were, I, a couple of us, myself, Greg Rinker from Guthy Rinker, they, they've got a lot of great beauty products, um, uh, Proactive and Cindy Crawford, et cetera. I, I'm, I was the gadget guy doing kind of kitchen stuff, Greg he ends up in the beauty business, but we formed an organization called Electronic Retailing Association, ERA, and there's it, it, we we went into Washington, D.C. We got a great trade organization, law firm, Venable Betcher, uh, Civiletti, and Howard, I think is the name of it. Um, they add some names as they go, but um, they, they represented us. We went into the FTC and said, look. Um, we want to operate uh, in a legitimate industry. There are some bad guys. So we're going to set up our own code of ethics, and, and only members that adhere to these ethics can be members. Um, only, only companies that adhere to the code of ethics are allowed in. And so we've – you know, and now if we see something that's not legal – That is, you know, putting out um, claims that are dishonest or scams and whatever. We actually have a, a, a a division of the of the organization that does monitor. Uh, you know, the, 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 the shows that are out there for the most part and then we'll we'll say to the FTC, hey, look, you know, there's some things out here that aren't looking so good and there's some, you know, we, we actually tell them either get it in compliance or you know, you may have some issues. So, to make a long story short, it's a self-policing organization, non-profit out of Washington, D.C., called the Electronic Retailing Association, but um, certainly, uh, as Remy's mentioning here, the FDA, that sometimes these things, even, even even if somebody reports something that, hey, this thing doesn't look so, so uh, honest, um, it, it sometimes can take even months or years for them to take action. Um, so uh, at the end of the day, though, uh, the, the, the as seen on TV, a trademarked uh, look and everything, and, and I use that word actually uh, in in the wrong text. It's the, the, the logo of as seen on TV is, is very powerful, but you generally don't see it on these the scams i mean you're not i mean if if somebody's using it uh, i don't actually own that logo um, you know what i had i acquired dot tv.com which was the website that is the ip in the industry so um, and I, I now have iCNN TV Pro also. So, so, so in other words, when 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 somebody puts something on TV or you see one of these as seen on TV stores out in the mall, you know nobody actually owns that just that logo all by itself. And so. Um, it, nobody can actually say, oh, you can't use that, but you generally don't see that on these kind of real estate scam type shows. Mm. Um, it, it's more of a gadget thing that you see kind of at Walgreens or CVS or Walmart, you know, they have an as seen on TV section, right? And so someone's not putting their $200 real estate course in the as seen on TV (laughs) section because it People aren't going to buy it at, Wal- at Walmart or Walgreens. Yeah, you generally not. see sort of the the gadgety type stuff that utilizes the the umbrella of as seen on TV. And you know, I think just at the end of the day, the, the last point I'll make on this is that if if a company is a member of ERA and they put something out that that isn't accurate or isn't in compliance, then they're notified by the you know the membership side of the business saying, hey, look. You know, you've you've taken a code of, of, of ethics, and this doesn't adhere to the code, so either change it or you can't be a member anymore is more or less how that works, right? Yeah. So, okay.
3: So. okay, well, we've got to grab a break here ourselves. Uh, Kevin Harrington is with us. Remy Stern is with us and about to join us, the Rembrandt of the infomercial, Ron Popeil.
4: Infomercial, awesome guy Great legs. How do you get them? I used to do aerobics till I dropped. Then I found Thighmaster. I thought I'd never fit into these jeans again. Thank you, Master.
2: Hi, it's Vince with Sham Wow. You'll be saying wow every time you use this towel. I can't live without it. I just love it. Oh my gosh, I don't even buy paper towels anymore. All
0: I can say is Sham Wow. Now, there's the Snuggie, the
4: blanket that has sleeves. The Snuggie keeps you totally warm and gives you the freedom to use your hands. Perfect for men, women, and children. Presenting The Clapper. Let your appliances turn on and off just by clapping.
0: Clap on.
2: Clap off. The Clapper.
3: That, of course, is the sound of infomercials. Uh, And that is the topic of our show today. With us, Remy Stern. He's a chief digital officer for the New York Post and author of the book. But wait, there's more. Uh, Kevin Harrington is with us. He's the chairman and founder of um, As Seen on TV. And of course, one of the original sharks on ABC's Shark Tank. Joining us now uh, is somebody said this is like having a show, uh, one of our tweeters. So this is like having a show on frescoes and booking Giotto as a guest, or perhaps a show on portraiture and booking Rembrandt as a guest. It's Ron Popeil, the inventor and iconic infomercial uh, pitchman, uh, he's the creator and the voice behind products like the Chopomatic uh, hand food processor, the Showtime rotisserie at barbecue, and the Ronco food hydrator, and so many, many more. Ron Popeil, welcome to this conversation. Hello, how are you? Uh, great, it's good to uh, hear your voice. So we just heard a whole, a little montage of commercial, of infomercial sounds, mm-hmm. and and you know. One of the virtues of the infomercial is it's quirky, it's different, it's not like regular commercials. But there's also a way in which they do seem like they're following some kind of pattern. Are there basic elements, Ron Popiel, that that a good infomercial has to have? Is there a formula?
4: Yes, yes there is. And, and 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 before you go to infomercials, yes. And and I'll because they're not much different than the short form that preceded right. it. The 30-second, the 60-second, and the two-minute, especially the two-minute,
0: mm-hmm.
4: were long before the infomercial came to play. But they all had the, the, the same creativity. You start out with the problem, and you show the, how that problem is solved, and then you end up with the price.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: So from black-and-white TV which started, uh, I'm, I'm going to guess, uh, 70s, uh, on, let's see, live uh, color television, I think, started uh, in the 60s. So in the 50s, you had black and white TV, mm-hmm. and you had short form. And I assure you, I did a five-minute commercial, which would be deemed a long-form commercial or possibly an infomercial in those years. But it was the two-minute spot that really made the play for direct response.
3: In, and in fact, uh, Ron Popel, it's actually believed that the first uh, commercial of this kind, the first uh, uh, piece of work of this kind, dates all the way back to, I think, 1949. We have a, a clip here for a product called Vitamix.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to give you a demonstration of one of the most wonderful machines that was ever invented, the Vitamix machine. And I have a
1: special offer for you. Get your pencil and paper ready.
2: If you order right now, I'm going to see that your machine will have the handle on without one penny extra. You can't afford to go another day without
1: a Vitamix machine. Get a Vitamix machine right now.
3: So Ron Pobiel, you used an interesting term, direct response, and this Sounds is like one of no the
4: Bernard, ways. But I doubt very much if he was the first one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. I think Chopomatic was before that, but wow. it's un- you, what, when people ask, who was the first? Mm-hmm. If you were marketing locally in Chicago, you didn't know what was being locally aired in Otumwa, Iowa. <laughs> so you really don't know who really was the first. Certainly, Gunther Ranker was certainly up there. Um, I was up there, um, and certainly Bill Bernard was up there. The key here, in, in listening to part of the show, and my best to Kevin, good,
2: to good to and, and
4: to, to Remy, um, some of the things about the infomercial business today, the infomercial business today is not strong. It's dying. It will, I don't even think it'll be around on television in ten years hmm. the, info, the people don't have the time today to watch twenty eight minutes and thirty seconds it's not thirty minutes it's twenty eight minutes and thirty <laughs> seconds so you can't run it's difficult to run two fifteen minute spots but if you go back anybody who put product on television in the early days I don't care what kind of a product was. Wrestling was the biggest program on TV. Mm -hmm. You come on with a short-form commercial, a product that shows a problem, shows the solution to the problem and the price. You had an order, but what kind of an order? There were no credit cards in those days. Mm -hmm. You sent your product out, COD, to collect your money.
3: Well, you know this is an this is an interesting argument you're making, Ron Popeil, and I'd like to get some reactions from the other uh, people on the show. So, Kevin Harrington, do you agree with Ron Popeil that somehow or other this is a, a format that may not be sustainable uh, over the next ten years?
2: Well. Uh, let's put it this way. I, th- I think what's, what's going to happen is it's going to, as, as I mentioned, in a 30-minute show, you really have three 10-minute kind of repeating pods. So eventually, you, you may end up you know, with 10-minute pods that become the infomercials instead of Thirty-minute shows, but you know, gradually, you know, I think we don't know what's going to happen with television over the next ten years. But I would say that, it, you know, the attention span. Uh, I read a Microsoft study the other day that said the average attention span of Americans has re- been reduced uh, to less than a goldfish now. So it's you know, uh, it's unbelievable. So you've got the iPad, the iPhone, the Instagram, the Snapchat, the this, the that. So you know, you've got to you've got to get them pretty quickly. Um, or you may lose them, but that's why. If in in the existing business model, in thirty minutes, I, I I'm seeing a a a a, a, a three-peat of of three three ten minute pods and, and as ron said, twenty eight minutes and thirty seconds, so um, you know divide that by three, and that 's kind of what you got but um, so yeah, I mean, in ten years uh, you're probably not going to see the the same kind of thirty minute infomercial uh, that runs today existing. They may be you know five to seven minutes, and some of the foreign markets. You know, there's a they're 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 buying time uh, in 15 minute segments, 10 minute segments, and five minute segments. So that might be a precursor to what will happen here in the U.S. Also,
3: you know, we've uh, because I screwed up the clock so bad in the first segment, we really need to. Catch another break here when we come back. Ron Popeil is actually going to pitch a product uh, to us. You're going to get to hear the Turkey Fryer uh, when we come back. But we'll have more of Remy, too. And thanks so much to Kevin Harrington. It's been just great to have one of the big names, uh, well, two of the big names in this business with us for this show.
4: those extra brown-
0: I'm Kayone. And I'm Lydia. Together we're... The The Gold Gold Girls. Girls. The price of gold right now is like $11 million or something. You can hear the sounds of people buying. Or selling. But it's gold, right? Yeah, the guy said it's gold. Call now, during this announcement. Today's show was produced by Josh Nalea. He doesn't have any gold, so I wouldn't talk to him. Our interns are Stephanie Reef and Ross Levin. Also appearing on the show today are Betsy Kaplan, Kayone, and me, Lydia. We're the, the gold, gold Girls. Also, Ray Hardman. He doesn't have any gold, so I wouldn't talk to him. The part of Bill Curry was played by Jane Seymour. I wouldn't talk to him even if he had gold. Tomorrow's show is about something, so it probably won't feature The, the Gold, gold Girls. Girls. Call now.
3: All right, we're uh, back. Uh, Jane Seymour, by the way, who basically has donated her body to uh, inf- the infomercial industry. Uh, and uh, you can't watch infomercials without seeing Jane pretty soon. All right, joining us now, we've got uh, Remy Stern. He's uh, with us from stu- from studios in New York. He's the author of But Wait, There's More. And we have Ron Popeil. Uh, I don't need to tell you who. I mean, Ron Popeil's name recognition is going to be higher than I don't know, a lot of professional athletes and rock stars. I mean, people tend to know who, who Ron Popeil is. And, and so, uh, Ron maybe we can start with that you became really famous um, and you became famous I think partly because so many of the products that you were associated with I mean you had a special style of pitching them and some of them, some of them were kind of improbable products that's part of the charm and excitement of the infomercial or direct response world I mean the notion of say spray on hair which a number of our Twitter
4: uh, people yeah, have asked about
3: looking hair. yeah so so tell us about spray on hair I mean how did that product oh. even come to You know,
4: that wasn't a a pure, that was not one of my pure inventions. Yeah. Um, Some, two guys down in Australia uh, partnered and created this hair product uh, that was doing well. Someone told me about it the same week. They told me about it. I flew down to Australia in the same week and met with. They they had already split up and had produced their own individual products. Met both with, got their formulas from both of them, paid them both off. Came back to the United States and put my own formula together. Made an infomercial and it was very very successful. And and people still use the product today. In fact, some very famous sports announcers I know without mentioning their their names use it on the bald spot on the back of their head.
3: Yeah. I think, Remy, you, have, you own a can of spray-on hair, right? I do. I do. Uh, all right, so, um, Ron, we do. I know that you think of yourself, obviously you're very famous as a pitch man, but you really think of yourself more as a creator of products. That isn't an,
4: well, you start out, we started, I started out using other people's products, my father's products on television. I used another manufacturer who made a variety of products and made commercials. But I realized that in order to, to be successful on TV, rather than search the world for product, the best thing you could do is create a product. So the marketing process takes place now before I attempt to invent a product, which goes to my, um, I think, the best product I've ever put together in my life and the best infomercial i have ever put together in my life my infomercials are unscripted on the set it and forget it which that product did a billion four hundred million in sales that set it and forget it came on in the show there was no pretense earlier that the product was a set it and forget it it
1: mm-hmm.
4: so be They're unscripted. The testimonials are real.
3: Yeah, it's like jazz. You're you're uh, you're inspired at the moment. Well, give us a quick pitch on the turkey fryer before we run out of time. Pitch us on the the turkey turkey fryer.
4: the, The product has a 15 pound turkey. Fries a 15 pound turkey in 46 minutes using two different steps. But in 46 minutes, you have a fried turkey up to 15 pounds. The interesting thing about turkey fryers, per se. And I don't want to get hung up on turkey fryer because it does so many, many other things. Um, Outdoor turkey fryers had fires, and there was a lot of bad publicity of homes being burned down, uh, people getting burned, five gallons of oil. UL came along and knocked out all the turkey fryers. Knocked them all out. Now, the biggest, of course, is the Butterball Turkey Fryer. Of course. They sell between, I'm guessing, a half a million to a million machines every fourth quarter. And they're knocked out. Mm. Currently, and probably for the rest of my lifetime, for the next 20 years, I will be the only person in the world to have an indoor turkey fryer (laughs) that will do a 15-pound turkey in 46 minutes. And it's done with the style of my kind of invention. It's a passion. Mm. It took me 14 years, not two and a half years like most of my other products, the pasta maker and a variety of other inventions of mine. 14 years of my life, 35,000 pounds of turkey supplied by Jenny O and Zaki Farms, Oil supplied by Costco, all these people knew the product I was working on and thought it was so sensational that they sent that stuff, or I was able to pick it up or have them send it to me complimentary. Do you It feel... does four pounds of fried chicken in 12 minutes. Whew. Safety. Yeah. You can't be burned. You can't have an overflow. Hmm. The food, before the food hits the oil... The lid is in place. It's a countertop fryer that stores the oil in it. Not much unlike restaurants who use oil, the same oil, every day with a variety of foods, from fish to french fries. We, What do you do when you do bacon? When you do bacon, everybody does bacon in this country. Mm-hmm. They put it in a frying pan. They turn on their gas or electric stove. The, it starts to sputter You take a fork or a tongue, and you turn each piece over. Your hand comes close to the the spattering oil. I hate that. And then you eat the bacon. Then what do you got? You look at your stove, and it's splattered. I got a big mess. I got a huge mess, Ron. Then you got to do something with the oil. Yeah, where's the oil? What am I going to do with the oil? It goes in the garbage pail, or it goes in your sink with hot water. And then you got to clean the frying pan. With the five-in-one fryer, all you do is put... You can put two pounds of bacon in the basket, lower it down and be protected. In 10 minutes, you have two pounds of crispy bacon. Oh, my God. Bacon oil went into the existing oil in the machine that you're going to use tomorrow or the next day. You don't have to get rid of any oil. You have no mess on your stove, and you have no fryer cleanup. Now, in a couple weeks, you change the oil or clean the oil with my oil cleaning system.
3: I have to have one. I have to have one by the end of the day, but or my life all, will be meaningless.
4: But it's in 13 minutes. Now, I asked myself the other day, the other day was four months ago, why do I use my fryer five times more than my rotisserie?
3: Well, Sorry, I think we might have lost you for a second. Ryan, are you still there? Oops. Uh, hold on, we'll try to get him back for just a second. But but uh, before we... <laughs> this is so appropriate that I just actually lost Ron Popeil uh, on the board. Uh, Remy, while we're uh, trying to reestablish that, or perhaps apologizing to Ron Popeil as we're running out of time here, there's something fundamentally American about what I'm hearing here. You know, and I think Kevin has said trying to get this, these products into other markets is actually pretty hard to do. Um, there's something very fundamentally American about the sound of, of, of what Ron Popeil is talking about right now. The idea that somebody can invent something and sell it. Um, That it's still it's a dream that's a harder one to realize these days. But I feel as though and we only have a, a minute or so left that the infomercial world is the place where that that notion still exists.
1: Yeah, and, and you know I think this is this is entertainment. We we as Americans love being sold to. We love shopping. You know we go to the mall for fun. Um, so we all it's not sort of surprising that we also enjoy sitting on our couch and watching these uh, these sales demonstrations that are so you know, engaging and and so fun to watch. You know it has become uh, entertainment and and uh, uh, you know it has taken on this sort of iconic sort of place in, in pop culture. And it's kitschy and it's funny, um, but but we we you know we enjoy uh, seeing these demonstrations and then. We we enjoy purchasing these products. It's it is you know it is uh, it is fun for us. Uh, I'm not sure that's true in, in you know in every country, um, but uh, you know I think I think it's also worth just sort of noting that 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 they learned you know in these in these direct response. Uh, 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 segments: How to sell products, you know, in real time to people. How to get people to, you know, motivate and purchase these things, uh, you know, on the phone. Um, that was really, really powerful, and that that lesson has sort of been taken uh, to traditional marketing, and will will sort of exist in every medium, whether it's trying to get you to purchase something off a website. They've learned sort of triggers that get people to buy products, which is very, very powerful.
3: All right, we have to stop there. Thank you to Ron Mobile. I'm getting my fryer today. I have to have my fryer. I, have, I need it right now. I don't want to even have to wait for how long it takes for it to be delivered. Could, could it just materialize here? Thank you, Ron Popeil. Thank you, Remy Stern. Thank you, Josh Nilea. And thanks to Kevin Harrington. We'll be back tomorrow. I want a-